Hello and welcome to Flicks and Scoops. I'm Ash, the idiot behind it all, mashing together films and ice cream just for shits and giggles. Each episode, my guest picks a film that I make an ice cream for, and then we chow down and talk about the film. Deezer's mal, I caught up with the terrible twosome in charge of the Umsteiger Merglish Karten podcast, Anna-Marie and Marta. They brought their sass to unpack Thelma and Louise. I went a bit off-road <laughs> with this one and made a sweet potato and tobacco ice cream, which is explained in the episode, but if you're daft enough to try it yourself, the recipe is on flicksandscoops.com. Thelma and Louise, starring Susan Sarandon and Gina Davis et al., is about a couple of friends who set out on a weekend adventure but soon find themselves on the run from the lower. As per usual, here's your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Thelma and Louise, then you'll probably get more from this episode if you watch it first. But even if you have seen it before, watch it again, or I'll send you to Tony Blair's mullet hairdresser. Quick bit of zany miscellany. Some miscellaneous information about the actor Billy Zane. Zany miscellany. Zane has filmed in over 19 countries, including Australia, five times. Isn't he a little jet setter? If you want me to feature a specific Zane miscellany, then email contact at flicksandscoops.com or DM me at flicksandscoops on any social. Just before we get going, we've got a live event this weekend on the 29th and 30th of May at the Crazy Bastard Kitchen in Norcone, where you can see me in person with all the gear and still no idea. We're selling ice cream and harassing people for film recommendations. Come on down, it'll be nice to see some familiar and unfamiliar faces, and if nothing else, it'll be a laugh. Sorry for taking so much bloody time. As promised, Flicks and Scoops, episode 17. Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Alright, flicks and scoops. Today, much like the titular characters of the episode, I'm joined by a couple of women who are blazing through the badlands of the Berlin dating scene with the, with, with the roof down and the sunglasses on. Please welcome to the show, Martha and Anna Marie. Hello. Hey, hello. I love that description. <laughs> that was amazing. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. No problem. How's it going? You good? We're good. So I'll just give a quick introduction, if you if you wouldn't mind taking the bat on after that. So we've got Anna Marie, a queer writer and activist from California, and Marta, who's a queer Londoner studying in Berlin. And together, they form the team behind the Umsteiger Burglischkeiten podcast. So, I have a number of questions, including, but not limited to, how well did I do on the pronunciation? Excellent. You did Nailed great. It. That was amazing. I'd just like to start by mentioning that, quite fittingly, we're recording this on Valentine's Day, of all days. Uh, what's your two opinion on V-Day? Do you pay it much reverence? We actually just recorded an episode about this, which came out. Uh, not not yesterday, two days ago. Friday. Friday, uh, which is all about Valentine's Day and how it's kind of a a sort of a capitalist prescription of what romance should be, but also that we actually secretly think it's quite cute. And we like to celebrate the love that we have for our lovers and also for our friends. And that's why we're spending it together, because we love each other. That's right. Yeah, we've talked about friendships a lot in our podcast as well, because any and all relationships are important and a relationship to yourself is first and foremost. And I think that doesn't get talked about a lot on Valentine's day, but self-love is also good. Nice little description that you gave there. Cause um, I've never known such a nonsense day 
in all my life. And I realised that sounds very bitter and jilted, but uh, I think I get annoyed because initially it sounded like a right laugh, uh, like it was this two or three day Roman festival to celebrate coming spring and just full of drinking and partying. And I don't know, now I'd argue it's, it's probably worse than Christmas for being capitalism incarnate. But, but uh, nevertheless, we're collectively drowning our stories in ice cream. How's the ice <laughs> cream going down for you? I haven't tried it yet. Oh, no, waiting. I thought you wanted to yeah. hear our experience live. Bum, ba-da, bum, ba-da, bum, ba-da, bum. The flavor, okay. It okay. is soy saucy to me. It, I when you, when you when you dropped it off the other day, and I, I smelled it because I always smell things before I eat them. I said it smells like a curry, and then, no joke, it tastes a bit like a curry. It kind of does, which is not bad, but it's yeah. also like no ice cream. <laughs> it, it's good. For a curry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd try and be a bit creative. So we've got tobacco and uh, sweet potato ice cream. Tobacco because uh, smoking plays quite an important part of the film, uh, mainly to show filmers unshackling from the patriarchy. And uh, I went with sweet potato because the, the route they take goes to a lot of farming states and sweet potato is one of the biggest exports. Plus, they're both down to earth, women of the land, with a sweet southern twang, so I thought it quite appropriate. Mm, like <laughs> do, we, do, we, do, we, do either of you smoke, though? No. No, I used to smoke socially, and then I had this one night where I got really sick, and after I haven't actually been able to smoke a cigarette since then. Hmm. I smoked uh, for a number of years. Yeah, I was a little bit worried about the tobacco, because um, you have to be really careful with the nicotine in it when you're cooking with it. So even just like 0.1 of a milligram over can make you violently ill. So I didn't want to get embroiled in a in a lawsuit. Oh my god! Tell us this now. <laughs> How did you? What did you just like break open a cigarette and like sprinkle in? No, no, I I, I cheated a bit. I cheated a bit and bought professional tobacco extract. So there's no nicotine or anything like that. Oh wow! So don't worry, you're not going to get ill. We hope. <laughs> Stop eating it now. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I can't. I can't really stop eating it. It's funny because Marta had an idea, her own idea of what flavor for the movie, Thelma and Louise. Oh yeah, I was like, oh, I bet he's going to make it like gasoline and sand flavored or something because that's like in the film. But then I was like, oh no, he's probably going to make it like bubblegum because the car is blue. And no, but then you actually came back with tobacco, which is not that far from gasoline. It's good. It's kind of chocolatey in a way. Umsteiger Möglichkeiten. What's all that about? Well, should I start with that? Mm-hmm. Um, it started. Well, I had I had the idea after three years of dating in the city that there does feel to be a specific culture of dating here that I haven't experienced anywhere else. Um, I moved here from Santa Cruz, California, which is much smaller, obviously, but and I've never lived in a big city. So I wanted to kind of explore this idea of if there's a specific shittiness to dating in Berlin. And Marge and I had talked about it for ages. And then finally, when lockdown hit, I could nab her and convince her to do it since she didn't have anything else to do. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. We like when we first started becoming close friends, we talked about dating so much and we had so many of the same or like similar stories and similar experiences. And yeah, Anna Marie kept being like, let's make a podcast. And I was like, yeah, maybe later, maybe later. 
she did not want to do it. <laughs> but then she convinced me, and now it's actually going really well. So, yeah, she was right, as always. Yeah, I was wondering what compelled you to start the project, if it was like a specific bad date that, that spurred the idea. Well, to me, it just felt like after, because at this point it had been like two years of dating in the city, it just really felt like there's this lack of basic respect. And you can say that arguably of a lot of places, but I think the fact that so many people move in and out who are kind of all in our age group, like, you know, early 20s to mid 30s, there's this weird shift of like transitory people all the time. And so I did get the feeling that that makes a lot of people think that they don't have to fulfill the common courtesies that you were you would if you were living somewhere else so you don't have to respond you know I mean there's like a a multitude of things that people do and don't do but it just felt like this sense that there's there's always someone else as well because there's so many people here it's always something better always, always something new so you know no one wants to commit necessarily I have found it very difficult to find people who are looking for a relationship period and then secondly, uh, this kind of in and out, in and out. People don't feel like they are beholden to any normal rules that I think in our, our normal, quote unquote, like offline life, we would be sticking to basic courtesies. Mm-hmm. Right. And is it the transient nature of dating in Berlin you find the most common problem, either that you two face or when you talk to people that come on your show? I would say so, yeah. Like most people say that there's this kind of like casual vibe to it and that you like either don't really get past texting someone, like they don't even want to go on a date or like you might go on a few dates and then find out that that person's like not looking for commitment or people that are often like in open relationships already. So they've already found somebody that they want to be with as their like main partner and that's not you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty common, I think. Yeah. How has the how has the show evolved for you two? Would you say? Well, in terms of producing it, I think we've come very far in a short amount of time. We definitely kind of hit the hit the ground running, um, and thought, you know, this will just be something that you know a few friends listen to. That's that's rad. And then we got to the point over the summer where we had a little fundraiser. And we had a huge amount of support that I think really blew us out of the water. Mm-hmm. And we've gotten quite a lot of like steady feedback from folks saying, you know, this really resonated with me or this made me feel less alone. And that's exactly what I think we both wanted out of this, that it's not necessarily to solve the problem of dating. It's just people to hear it and go, oh my God, yes, like this, I'm not the only one who's experienced this here or you know, because especially a city like Berlin, you can feel very alone very quickly. So a method to feel a part of a community of sad, sad, lonely people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think also in terms of like, maybe the topics that we talk about, we just have, you know, like we kind of broadly have our opinion on dating, but I, I think with each episode, we've been able to look at a different aspect of it in a way that is new. And I think when we interview people, we're usually able to like tease out quite well like what they think and what the specifics of their beliefs are and like present those to our audience and like Anna Marie said we get a lot of really good feedback from people and people really often say oh this guest had such a great thought or like oh you guys really interviewed so and so really well and I I I like that I think that we're good because sometimes it's just like we're just talking and then afterwards I listen back to it and I'm like oh wow like (laughs) 
that was a really good conversation that we had. I kind of don't really think always that it's a podcast, but it is. Mm. Well, I listened to them all uh, to do some homework, and I really liked how it went from being quite a personal experience, which is cool to hear about in itself, because I think there's a lot of relatable stuff in there. But I like how it's turned into more of a open forum about sex positivity and just really candid conversations about different aspects surrounding the topic. My favourite one was the uh, translating Tinder, because wanky Tinder buyers, it, it winds me up. Oh, with Aileen, she's so good. What's the most valuable thing you've learned from hosting your podcast? For me, I think it would be that honesty really resonates with people. I think we're both very unabashedly ourselves, kind of out in the world. And we've made a point of being that way on the podcast and not shying away from topics that we might find difficult to talk about. Um, and want to continue doing that for sure. So and the, the most you know honest conversations we had are the ones that I've gotten feedback from saying that people like the most. So yeah, I think just kind of reifying that, that people appreciate brutal honesty, believe it or not, like you're saying, especially with this fucking veneer on dating apps and like it's this weird world where we're selling ourselves, but we're actually trying to find a true connection with someone else, whether, you know, or not, but to some level. So how can you do that if you're putting on a bit of a front and navigating those waters? Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you been dating during the pandemic? Um, I just got dumped. I got into like a serious relationship and then got dumped during the pandemic because the pandemic has been so long that there was enough time for all of those things <laughs> to happen. Um, but back in the beginning, I was I was going on some dates. But you've been a little bit more active than me <laughs> recently. I have been active. Well, um, yeah, I've been going on dates on and off throughout the year. Um, I saw a couple people for you know, a handful of dates, I'll say. When we were both dating at the beginning of the, like March, April last year, the pandemic was like such a new thing and the lockdown was so new. I felt like so many people I knew were just meeting people on dating apps and then having these like really intense connections and like really intense conversations with people. And then I had that as well at the beginning of the pandemic was like, and it almost was like, because you couldn't really meet anyone, but you still want a human connection, you would like pick a person and then like get really into yeah. that one person as your like lockdown lover kind yeah. of thing. But then now that the lockdown has dragged on for so long, people are like, not they don't want that anymore. Like That's, you don't need a lockdown lover yeah. anymore and it's cold and it's shit. So it doesn't have the magic. Like I think that those early days of the pandemic for dating, they like almost had this like magical quality of like, what if the whole world has changed and I'm going to meet the person for me. Yeah. And now that, like the veneer is gone because it's like gray and it's cold and it's shit and you just don't want to do it. You've taken away kind of most of the traditional setting of many dates, which in my case almost always involved alcohol. Um, so they're like very sober, harsh dates, but yeah. But, and I'd just to add that we both have been you know, doing these things, Corona safe. Just yeah, want to yeah. add. So it was always uh, distance walks. Just get the legal disclaimer in there. You're right. It definitely uh, accelerated stuff at the start I think um, but it's interesting that you mentioned about the sobriety because that's that's one point that I quite like about it because I think you get so used to these crutches of uh, alcohol or coffee or smoking you know whatever and then to have those removed I kind of like the 
it put myself in a position where I don't feel normal. There is something also refreshing about cutting through that crap because I have also you I mean you do see people very clearly when you know there's no none of those distractions mm-hmm. and it's it's just the two of you practicing your social skills <laughs> which yeah. which often you know is really intense and then I think you get to know people a bit quicker honestly. Do you ever go on double dates? Oh, oh my god, no, I I know. No. No, I'm so I'm 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 kind of anti double date. I don't I'm not into the concept of a double date. And I just wouldn't no offense, but I just wouldn't want you there. I wouldn't want so. I would rather go to Kit Kat with you than I would Because <laughs> you're like you are yourself on a date, but you're also kind of not. And I, I wouldn't wanna I wouldn't want Anna Marie there to be like, that's not who you are. Like yeah. shut up. <laughs> I totally would be. You would you'd be like, No, that's not true, Marta. You've never said or like you'd be like, No, Marta, you hate aubergines, what the fuck you do? And I'd be like, shush, shush. I'm trying to impress someone. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't have that. Do you like going on cinema dates? Might I ask? Oh my god. Okay, so Anne Marie asked me and when we recorded the podcast about Valentine's Day. You asked me like, Oh, what would you actually want to do on Valentine's Day? Mm-hmm. After we finished recording that and I was going home, I was thinking about I would say a cinema date would be a really good Valentine's Day date. If it was a really nice cinema, like if it was like one of those really fancy ones, like there's one near where my parents live in London, it's an everyman cinema and they have like sofas and tables and like, there's like a bar, you like order at the bar and the mm. guy like brings your drinks in and like an actual glass. And it's like a really, I would love like a really nice cinema or like mm. a rooftop cinema or something special as a cinema date. Mm. But not as a first date. I think as a first date, it's, sorry, it's yeah. just a weird, then you're like not talking. And that's, it's like, why not? Yeah, that's what I would say as well. I think for a first date, it's just like, you're gauging each other's reaction to the film. And then there's all these setups for awkwardness. Like if there's a sex scene in the movie mm-hmm. and then you're both kind of like, oh, now we're very aware of like these boobs that are 20 feet high in front of our faces or whatever. And um, or if it's like a sad scene and, you know, it's an emotion. I just think it'd be really difficult to find like the perfect film or if one of you really likes it, the other person doesn't. I, one time I had a Tinder, when I was at uni, I had a Tinder date with a guy who we went to see Rogue One, which I had already seen and I knew I liked it. And I was like, wanted to actually watch it. And he just kept wanting to kiss me and he was a really bad kisser. <laughs> and I just <laughs> didn't know how to be like, please stop kissing me. I want, <laughs> I genuinely want to watch this film. And I also genuinely don't want to kiss you. So please stop. Okay, so it's both of you kind of sucked on that date then. <laughs> because if you're the person who's like, stop touching me, I just want to <laughs> yeah. see this movie. That's like not why you go to the film to see a date obviously we were on two different pages about everything about that date where are you going Fresno we've been seeing you all over the place why don't you take off those shades I want to see your eyes yeah I've been seeing you too yeah we think you have really bad manners (laughs) yeah where do you get off behaving like that with women you don't even know are you a flicker or a scooper Scooper, 100%. I love ice cream so much. And all ice cream related items. Milkshakes, ice cream cakes, waffles. Anything with, on, around, related to ice cream. I love it. Amen. Yeah. I'm the same, definitely. I like movies, but I... I mean, we also... We eat a lot of ice cream together. Like, as soon as the weather's warm, it's it's just a lot, a lot of ice cream intake. Like, last summer, we um, went through a couple boxes of oreo ice cream on a stick in like three days and it was great no regrets Mm -hmm. 
What's your uh, What's your favourite ice cream shop in Berlin? Ooh, um, I really like Quarter di Vetro, which is in Schoenmarkt. Um, that one's really good. They have really good ice cream, and the scoops are, it's two euros per scoop. It's worth it. I really like Rosa Canina. Mm. They have, I think, a few locations around the city, but there's one in Nikon. And they do, like, I'm I'm not generally one for the very experimental flavors. Like, I, you know, Oreo, cookies and cream, things like that. Sweet potato and, and, and tobacco. Like sage and <laughs> yeah, sweet potato. boogers or whatever. <laughs> <Sweet> <laughs> <potato>. <laughs> Nothing about the sweet potato. Um, but they do, Jose Canina did, like, a, they do a lot of, like, New York cheesecake or like flavors that really work and then they just make a really nice ice cream out of it. When you do eat ice cream, do you prefer it in a cup or a cone? Cup. I'm, I'm anti-cone. I'm cone. I'm anti-cup. Oh. The cone, no offense, the cone is shit, okay? The cone, like, you eat all this delicious ice cream, yay, yummy ice cream, and then you just have to eat cardboard for five minutes. You're a monster. <laughs> I hate it so monster. much. The only time the cone is good is if it's like a cornetta, which is filled with ice cream and has chocolate at the bottom as a reward. No, a normal cone is me. shit. And now the rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, okay. Especially the places that make their own cone, and you walk in, and that smell like wafts all over you, and it's like, ooh, yummy, delicious. And I'm personally someone who likes like a variety of textures and things I eat, so I like having crunch after the creamy. And I mean, yeah, if it's like those, I don't even know if they have those here. Our typical like American cone that you get in grocery store it really is like cardboard. And no, I don't need that. But in Germany, I find that generally they're great. And then it's just more like, it's just like you get to that point and you have something to look forward to. And you have that little cone at the end that has the liquid ice cream in it. And you're just like, yeah, my last bite. Don't stop looking at me like that, Marta. <laughs> so <laughs> when you go to the ice cream store uh, and you've got one flavor to choose, what'd you go for? This is a hard one. I, I usually, if I'm in, if I'm in Germany, I get hazelnut, but that's not a flavor they really have in the States. So mm. hard to say. Cause yeah. Of my all-time classic and the perfect foil to any other flavor to me is stracciatella because I love, I just love the cream ice cream and I love the bits of dark chocolate in it and it has like textural difference between the ice cream and the chocolate and it's just, and because it's like cream and chocolate, it just goes really well with anything else that you might want like pistachio or caramel or hazelnut leather. But if it's bad stracciatella, then that's just so disappointing. It makes me weak. Well, congratulations on being the first to choose Stratitella and Hazelnut. You're just so unique. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, is ice cream usually a snacker choice at the cinema? Absolutely not. No. 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 Oh dear. Oh dear. Because, 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 because. When you go to cinema and you have a snack, I think it should last as long as possible. I will eat as much of it as possible during the ads. And therefore that's why you need like a giant bucket, bucket of popcorn because then you have a chance that you might have something left at the film. The ice cream would just melt by that point. No? By the time you finish the ads and yeah. watch the film, you'd have nothing left to eat or it would be liquid. Yeah, agreed. I also, um, this isn't going to present like a very good view of me, but I struggle with hand-eye coordination. So I would be the person who like when the credits go and the lights turn on, you would look over and your cool friend Anne-Marie would be fucking covered in ice cream <laughs> because I'd just be like, oh, it's over here? I don't know. So I stick, I stick with things that I can eat with my hands, like mm-hmm. popcorn and, mm-hmm. and crisps and stuff. You know? mm-hmm. Safer for everyone involved, I think. Safer? 
more annoying for other cinema goers. Mm. The reason I like ice cream is because it finishes before the film starts. So then there's no no distractions. Mm. But as you two are scoopers rather than flickers, I think I'll uh, I'll let this one slide. <laughs> do you go to the cinema often when you can, or do you watch a lot of films at home? I don't go to the cinema a lot anymore. Um, I used to in Santa Cruz because I worked for a newspaper and I part of my job was that I was supposed to give a little roundup every week of the films that had come out. So I also got to go to the film, to, to the cinema for free, which is great. And here, yeah, I don't know. No, it's not part of my job. Like we've gone a couple times together, but it is quite a luxury. I think I'm broke very often. <laughs> so mm. yeah. And there's, you know, I watch, I watch like a lot of shows by myself, but for me, watching a movie is also very much something that I do with someone. Like, I don't know if that's just how I grew up. It's I do it with my family. I do it with a friend. So I find also that I don't really have the patience to watch like a whole film by myself no. for whatever reason, you know, maybe the fact that we have like a million shows that are super quick and punchy and they're only 20 minutes and now my attention span is shot. But I like it better with someone who I can go, oh, fuck, did you see that or mm-hmm. whatever. And it's a shared experience. I was going to say the same thing. I don't have the attention span to watch a film alone or in my house, really. I just, I would just pause it and go and do something else because I just can't focus on it. But that's why I do love to go to the cinema because then I'm like, I, the only thing I can do is sit and watch. And then I just love. Um, so I, I used to go like relatively often, actually. But obviously, since the pandemic, not mm. so much. Yeah, it's definitely a product of the world that we're living in now that everybody's attention span's shot to shit and everything's mm-hmm. just this immediate uh you get everything immediately so yeah to, mm. to take away a chunk of time it feels like such a or it can feel like such a commitment why did you pick Thelma and Louise you can go on this one I actually haven't seen it until she recommended it oh for this podcast so I can't really say anything yeah well mainly because we really don't watch films together mm. and I was asking her what her favorite ones are and they were very divergent from my favorites um i'm not like a I, I really like films that are kind of about i don't know connections i guess like relationships i think something that speaks to me personally um and i you know Thelma and louise is just like iconic feminist story about friendship essentially or at least it is to me um yeah and it's a good watch. Like I have to say, I rewatched it last night and I was in suspense despite the fact that I know what's going to happen. And I think that's the kind of, I don't know. I think a good film to me means something that I'm having like a visceral reaction to either I'm crying or I'm really, really laughing or something like stays in my body from it. Well, the next one would be pretty funny for Marta then. Do you remember the first time that you saw it? And was it particularly memorable? I do. <laughs> It was about three weeks ago, uh, <laughs> and Rory texted me a list of films, and I texted her a list of films that we might talk about for this podcast, and I was like, all right, fine, I guess I'll watch. I'm really bad with other people's recommendations, so usually Anne-Marie recommends something, and I'm like, absolutely not, I will not do what you tell me to do. She but doesn't this- trust me for some <laughs> weird reason. But this time I was like, okay, fine, I will watch it. And then I watched it while I was cooking, I think, and I was just like so surprised at how good it was. Um, because like I said, I don't follow other people's recommendations ever. And so I just was like, oh my God, this is, I thought it was going to be a bit more of a sort of like 
cheesy sort of like heist movie or something. And then it turned out to be this really like rich, you know, feminist film. And I was like, oh, I see why Anne Marie likes it so much actually. And then, yeah, then I was really fascinated by it. I don't, but I, it must have been when I was a kid because I mean, it came out in 1991. And so I, I assume I saw it at the end of the nineties. Um, and I, I asked my mom about this the other day because my parents had this habit of not recognizing that R-rated films are not meant to be watched by children. So I'm I'm almost positive that my mom showed me. And it's, you know, there's a lot in that film that maybe should not be seen by a child. There's violence against women. There's violence in general, um, swearing, alcohol, drug consumption, all those things. But yeah, I think it, it definitely would have been when I was probably about like 10 or 11. I quite like the different ways that they certify films in the US though, because back in the UK, it's, it's really hard point. It's like, if it's 15, you've got to be 15. You can't be with an adult. But I think parents should be allowed some sort of freedom. For sure. I mean, I think I'm, I'm not like trying to... <laughs> trash my parents or anything i think in their case it was kind of like they were stuck with a kid and they were like well we want to watch this film so you can suck it up and close your eyes if you don't want to see it you know like it wasn't like this is a learning experience for you that's the way it should be shut the fuck up and watch this film (laughs) (laughs) has the film had an influence on your life the only thing that's influenced me is that i'm doing this podcast now (laughs) so (laughs) that's the one thing um I think maybe not super directly, but I do think that it's one of these iconic films that people reference a lot. So like, I definitely have, you know, mentioned the film like Thelma and Louise as an example of like an iconic friendship. Um, I do think it was probably also one of the first times, especially as a kid, and I've rewatched it since I saw it as a kid, but definitely one of the first times that I saw like a female friendship foregrounded in such a way. Uh, women in the leading roles of a film and not that I can like distinctly remember oh you know I had a poster and I idolized them as as figures but um I think there are films that I remember that are about women <laughs> because mm-hmm. I mean it's still not you know every every film that comes out nowadays but in the 90s it certainly wasn't something that happened all the time and if it was it was super disparaging of of women you know and like very very classic gender roles so this was definitely cutting through the norm yeah same for me it's not really had an effect on my life but that's not to say that had I seen it at a different point in my life that it wouldn't have because I grew up on a diet of 80s action films so maybe if I have seen it sooner it would have made me think a bit more about women in films and in leading roles but I only saw it for the first time actually a couple of years ago. So as we're in, what are we in? Fourth wave feminism now. Uh, it didn't really have the impact that I think it would have done if I'd have seen it when I was when I was younger. How did you stumble on it? Oh, it's a really famous film. So it's, it's one of these iconic films. So I've, I've known about it since I was a kid, really, but just never got around to watching it. But you mentioned there about the gender stereotypes. Would you say the film's gender bending or genre bending? I think in a sense it is. In I mean, I'm not maybe the most well-versed on writing about genres, but in, in the sense that it, if you take it as like a revenge film, those are definitely 
from the time period led by men. If you have like Arnold Schwarzenegger, very, very violent, very like weapons and technology driven. And also you could also say that this is a bit of a Western kind of feel, you know? Um, but it's a, and it's a hero's story. So I don't know, I guess a bit, I, I do think it's, it challenges gender roles. Mm-hmm. I always, whenever I hear gender bending, I cringe a bit because I, I, it's not you, this isn't being used in a transphobic way, but you know, like has been in the past. Um, but I do think it, it challenges a lot of conceptions of what women are allowed to be. Mm-hmm. And you know, that world, we can be violent. Yeah, me too. I think it does more to subvert gender than genre because like you mentioned about the westerns or the outlaw films it still functions as a as an outlaw film so you know on the run from the war life on the road the the buddy aspect of the outlaw lifestyle and the violence as well um so it keeps those elements intact whereas i reckon it does more to challenge gender roles uh than film tropes You, you know you've got empowered women exhibiting sexual freedom uh emancipation from males and generally just behaving how you normally see men behaving on screen and totally against the patriarchal norms for women that <laughs> that we're so familiar with. Yay. <laughs> when it was first released it was considered controversial. Why do you think that was? I mean it deal it's like very open about the fact that she that um yeah, Thelma is, is like nearly gets raped in the film. She gets assaulted in the film. Although it's Which unclear is not- if it's if, if she is raped or because she kind of says he raped me. Mm. You don't thankfully see a lot of that, but right, she definitely gets you know like assaulted, violently assaulted. Yeah, um, and which is not like you know, like women get assaulted in films all the time, but then they they never really turn around and like kill the guy, you know, mm-hmm. and then talk about how shit it is to be a woman and how they don't want to go back to their lives and then, you know, die at the end. Yeah. So that's, I mean, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> they <Sorry>. die. <laughs> we don't see them die, but the implication is that they do. Yeah. Um, I would say that is just, just incredibly controversial for her to not, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, sometimes a woman gets attacked or most often a woman gets attacked and then it's like for the male hero to like mm-hmm. empower him. He's just so, oh, the injustice, my wife was attacked or my girlfriend or whatever. Yeah. And then, but this one is like, she gets attacked and then it it changes her. It changes uh, Louise also. It changes their lives. And they discover a new way of living through how they react to that in a way. Mm-hmm. Not, that, not that being attacked is a positive thing, but the, just the, they, the things that they realize about how they've been living just change their lives completely. And they become even more like the protagonist of this film through that. I don't know if that's necessarily controversial, but it's just... I think it is. I mean, it was. The, it, you know, as, as I mentioned, it came out in 1991. And yeah, unfortunately, rape is a quite... A, I guess until then, it had been rather unspoken, especially in film, that it is, you know, a common experience for many women, or assault at least. Um and the political context of the U.S. at the time, I think, is also really important. So you have in 1991, you have um, in many states, including Oklahoma, which is mentioned in the film, I think they drive through it. You had marital rape still being legal and not being recognized as a form of rape. 
And it wasn't until 1993, I think, that all 50 states finally legalized that it is illegal for a husband or spouse to rape their spouse. And then you also have, which, so you have, you have a huge like feminist reaction to this film as well. And in 91, you have Anita Hill challenging Clarence Thomas, who was um, in the hearing process of becoming a Supreme Court justice. And so this idea that women are not believed was finally, finally fucking coming to like a national conversation. And I mean, you know, we, we weren't at in 1991 where we are now. So the fact that uh, Susan Sarandon's character, she says to Gina Davis's character, like, we can't go to the police. Mm -hmm. They're never going to believe us. Mm -hmm. That's not the world we live in. Mm -hmm. And so that was controversial because it was like, wow, we're finally talking about this. I mean, people did not want to acknowledge that or even think that rape was a big deal. Um, So I think a lot of the language used really changed throughout Mm -hmm. this discourse. I mean, you didn't even have rape as a war crime until the Bosnian War. So, um, yeah, so you're talking to two two history master students. (laughs) I could go on, but um, yeah, I think it's just really important to to square it kind of it, it's in it comes out in the middle of this surge of third wave feminism as well um so you had a lot of women who felt seen and you had a lot of men who felt challenged right yeah so. yeah, yeah yeah but it's that's probably the thing that was most surprising to me when i watched it because i really didn't know that much about it before i watched it i just thought well, well it's just like i thought it was more like sort of bonnie and clyde or something um and then I was so surprised that they, they really hit on that that question of like, where, when she says, yeah, no, no one's going to believe us. I was like, oh my God, that's so true. And then what you said about Anita Hill, I mean, um, Justice Kavanaugh, like we just had the same yeah. thing happen with him. Right, right. And I just was like, when I was reading about the backstory to the film, I was like, oh my God, like how far have we come in 30 years? Not far. Mm-hmm. Not far that this film that was made 30 years ago and it was really groundbreaking then is breaking the same ground to me. Mm-hmm. Of like different generation watching it a generation later was like kind of bringing up a lot of the same reactions for me i'm not like oh thank god we don't live in that world anymore i'm like oh holy fucking shit we still live in like, yeah. that world yeah you know yeah. No, no i'm glad you contextualized it though because this this point of um distrust in the law because and sadly as you said it's, it still seems the case nowadays the law distrusts them yeah. uh, and other victims of sexual assault um, and I think it, it asked questions that people probably weren't used to being asked. Um, like when she goes on to the truck driver about how would you feel if somebody did that to your mother or your sister or your wife? And it just, I suppose mm-hmm. it used comedy as a vehicle to put this idea across of how ridiculous certain male's behaviour is. And you still see it these days, so it's still it's still quite relevant, I think. Yeah. I would also, not to really go too much into the historical context, but I would also argue that the United States was sort of facing a crisis in masculinity at the time as well. And this film, like you said, in a comedic way, really, really takes the veneer off how silly a lot of these, you know, tropes of toxic masculinity are. 
Um, because I think the the end of the Cold War and the you know dissolution of the the Soviet Union for many American men was kind of like, what do we do now? Um, there's lots written about that, but I think that in terms of how people reacted, because you know, women thought it was great and men thought it was shit. <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh, well, why? Like, why do you take such offense at the fact that this is a story about powerful women reclaiming their lives? Yeah. That was a good point because you had the, in the 80s, there was the whole Reagan explosion of, that's why there's so many action films to show the US's power and masculinity and stuff. And although there have been powerful women in films before, this one's not just a case of, oh, give them a weapon and that'll do. You know, they each had character arcs, backstories, actual personalities, which is something that, again, was unfamiliar at the time. I can't go back. I mean, I just couldn't live. I know. I know what you mean. Anyway, don't want to end up on the damn Geraldo show. <laughs> What's your favourite scene? Well, you already brought it up, Ash. Um, I like the scene where they've been on the road and they have seen this awful truck driver a couple of times and he's just super gross and lewd and he haunts at them and he makes obvious references to, to them, you know, sucking him off and, and just he's, he's so gross. <laughs> like he's, he's cast really well, I think. And then at some point, in, in their story arc of where they finally stopped giving any fucks about being outlaws and they've really kind of like settled into, okay, you know, now we're just going to do whatever we want. We have the freedom. They have him follow them into a parking lot and they have this exchange where they're like, that's really rude. You know, but like you said, Ash, that what if someone said this to your sister? Someone said this to your mother and they're super polite, you know, mm -hmm. they're very straightforward and he's just having this like weird spasmic reaction to it. <laughs> and then, um, Louise's character starts shooting at the truck and shoots first the tires out. And then they both kind of stand there, Thelma and Louise, and they're like this very powerful wide leg stance, gun in hand, and they start shooting out. Also, like, randomly, they're both fantastic shots, which yeah. I just have to add. <laughs> might be a little bit off, but whatever. Um, and then the truck, this huge freight truck, just explodes. And it's, like, I think just me watching it, maybe a lot of women watching it, can just sit there and think, oh, God, yeah, that would feel so fucking good. Oh, like, my God, yeah. Like, the, we've all experienced just some gross, nasty comments that make us feel dirty and sick and feel uh, make us feel horrible for being in our bodies and just the idea that you could just enact such a vengeance and with such a bang the one with Cyrus is really good where they've put this policeman in the trunk of the car and i think they did shoot a hole in the car for him to have air <laughs> um and he's like in there like banging like help me help me and then this cyclist comes past um who wikipedia was like he's a rastafarian i don't know if he actually is i'm not gonna say but he's black and he like takes like a hit on his joint and he just blows the smoke into the trunk of the car where the policeman is. Um, I was so unexpected for me watching it. I was like, mm -hmm. where did this scene come from? Yeah. Like who put, who wrote this in? But it's a good, it's a really good scene. Cause it's just kind of this like, fuck the police, fuck the police. Like nobody likes the police, mm -hmm. including this random guy who was using his opportunity to just fuck with this policeman. He doesn't know why the policeman is in the car. He doesn't care. He's like, <laughs> 
Thank God someone put this police behind the trunk of his car and fuck this guy. Yeah. Um, I like that. Mine's a cyclist scene. And like you said, it's, it does seem very incongruous, which I think why I like it, because it just seems a bit silly. And I don't know if it was to show that it's not just women that have failed by a white male-driven society. And, you know, people of different ethnic minorities also get the shitty end of the stick. What importance do you think music has in a film? I mean, to be fair, I didn't pay maybe too close of attention to the music, but I do feel like it sets this very sort of like nostalgic Americana feeling in the in the movie. Um, I don't know if there's a deeper meaning to the songs chosen or anything, but yeah, it feels very like this is an American story mm-hmm. and we're seeing a lot of kind of classic American scenery iconography you know the car they drive they're smoking cigarettes the job she has working in a diner so it kind of to me it kind of connected it to that like working class early 90s late 80s culture of white white working class people I should say I was the same as you to be honest and I was a little bit cheeky the reason I threw it in is because I stumbled on this article um by Claudia Goldman, Claudia Goldman, uh, where she goes into an active reading of the hybrid pop score of it. And I didn't realise how much weight it carried as well, but a lot of the song lyrics are really uh, related to the scenes and stuff. And just going by the cyclist one, for example, how the image is related to the song, like uh, she explains the visuals match the, the lyrics, like all the bad feelings disappear when he puts on his spliff and here's the rainbow I've been praying for and he's all in like multicolored garb and stuff, which, you know, totally went over my head the, the, when I first watched it, but I thought it quite interesting. I'll send it over after if you've got any interest. But it's really nice <laughs> when you hear that many layers of intention in a film. I do like learning about that. Even if in the moment you're so immersed because it is a good film that you don't even notice it, but well, it's cool. Yeah, this is it. it's good when it's uh, subliminal. <laughs> it's quite nice um, which character do you relate to if any or is there anything in the film that particularly resonates with you or reminds you of something in your own life okay which of us is Thelma and which of us is Louise oh that was a fucking question I had <laughs> okay I was thinking about this earlier I think we're both Louise yeah I mean obviously it's not that simple but I think we're both fairly like organised mm. responsible people mm-hmm. Thelma gets kind of thrown around as being a bit silly at points like she does fall for Brad Pitt's sexiness and somehow her own like sexual trauma is negated by the fact that she picked up a hot guy mm-hmm. in his like twenties from the road and then doesn't know like doesn't think that maybe when he's explaining to her that he's a thief and a robber <laughs> that he mm-hmm. might take the money that she has in the on the bedstand. Right. Um yeah, do you have any? Well, I think if we're both Louise, we're also sometimes both Thelma, in that we both sometimes need to kick up the arse. And so whenever <laughs> yeah. I'm being Thelma, in that I'm being silly and being like, oh, but what if this guy is like, okay, then you're mm. Louise and you're like, no, like put your head back on. Yeah. This is shit. And vice versa. Like if you have a wobble, I'm Louise and I'm like, no, get in the car. Like, true. Aww. Aww. Oh, you guys. Is, uh, is, is Jimmy? A bad character because, I don't know, I hope this doesn't come across egotistical, but most of my relationships have been long distance at some point. So I like to think I'm fairly supportive and reliable. A good 
uh, a good money wirer? <laughs> um, I like that he is kind of like, he's down to go with it. She's like, I need my life savings. I'm not going to tell you why. And he's like, okay. You know, at the end of the day, I'm like, I can't, you know, I can't stop you from doing that. And I'll, I'll help you. And if you really need this, then this is what I'll do for you. Um, I liked that he was a, a bit of a ride or die, but he could have been shit at some point. Do you think Detective Hal is a feminist? No. No, not really. I don't think anyone in the film, I don't think anyone's character in the film would describe themselves as a feminist. I don't even think Thelma Louise would, because... I mean, that's kind of like an outside context that it isn't really relevant for their character. I think that it seems very much like their, you know, their their lives aren't, I don't know. They're obviously very, their actions are influenced by what's right in front of them. Mm-hmm. And that is either be caught or try to escape and potentially die. So mm-hmm. I don't think Hal is very feminist. I think he has... You know, he has moments where he's sympathetic to them and he's maybe trying to just keep them safe. But then again, I also think like, not that much, you know, he, he talks on the phone with them with, uh, with, with Thelma at one point and or with Louise at one point. Sorry, I'm really great with names. <laughs> Fuck. Um, and he he says like, you know, just at this point, you're still just wanted for questioning. And I'm like, bro. You could have like talked to the DA about charges. You mm-hmm. could have you could have been trying to get a deal. Like, there's no real reason for them to try to come back. And if he was really, you know, if he really gave a shit, he would would have tried to get some sort of deal or would have tried to get some legal enticement for them to come back. Um, so I don't see him as a hero in this film. <laughs> no, he's not. He, he is sympathetic to them, but he's yeah. I think he's just trying to get them in alive. Um, mm-hmm. And. I'm not saying that he's like, oh, I hate them, lock them up forever, but he is just trying to, I think, use whatever tactics he can to get them in alive so that they can be tried for this crime. Because like you said, he's not like, well, he does say to Louise at one point, he's like, yeah, I understand like what happened to you in Texas. I understand why you're trying to run away. But he doesn't ever say like, you can use a like self-defense claim. And I've spoken to the, yeah, yeah to the like prosecutors and they've agreed that they will give you this light. Set. Yeah, like you said, he doesn't actually... Uh, materially, you know, feminism is not just talk. It's also right. action, and he doesn't really have that much action. Okay, wait, real quick then. I have a question to both of you. Do you think, I think, is it JP, Brad Pitt's character? JD. JD. I'm also dyslexic, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think his character is feminist? Is feminist? Yeah. No, no. I think he, t- I think he picks on the weaker link of the two to exploit. Okay, fair enough. Do you think just because he gives her a good shag that he's like <laughs> <laughs> this great feminist? Uh, no, I think. Well, I don't know. I, I guess yeah. He, like goes he, down on her, and she's like, "Woo!" <laughs> <laughs> well, I think to a certain level, he like kind of treats all people the same. So yeah. he, I mean, I'm way too much into this, but like he treats everyone like shit, so he doesn't get. Is someone who he obviously like very much admires and then yeah does give like the fuck of her life and then he's like well i'm gonna do what i'm always gonna do i'm gonna steal from you yeah i don't know equal opportunity asshole (laughs) no like you said i wouldn't really say anyone in the film is that much of a feminist so definitely not good old jd although yeah he's a gold medal for his services to to 
That's right. Normal. Here, 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 here. <laughs> no, I wouldn't call Hal a feminist either. Uh, I think I'm, I'm undecided. I don't know whether it's a ploy that he's been so sympathetic to get him to come in, but, you know, he believes Louise about this rape in Texas. And I, I'm also not sure if he's just in there to have a positive male character so it just doesn't look like the shit on males the whole time. So do you think the ending is triumphant or defeatist? I would say in some ways both because um, there's a lot of media from like millennia about how, like what happens when women like reject their like traditional role in society, basically. Like if you look at like Greek tragedy and like Greek comedy, there's all these different ones about like women. Yeah becoming lawmakers or women like acting like men and then it always just sort of goes either comedically or really tragically badly but I think what's what's triumphant about Thelma and Louise is that they 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 commit a murder and by committing a murder they transgress this like social norm which is to not murder and then by transgressing that social norm they 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 come outside of this social reality in such a way that they then also can come out of their tradition, like what they were doing before as women. And they realize that, I think they realize through not being, or trying to escape the law, that they can escape other things and they can escape what their lives were before. Like Louise escapes, you know, her, her past and escapes like the diner and Thelma escapes her marriage, which she just begins to realize was like a disappointing sack of shit that she like, didn't have to live with. Mm-hmm. And they just, they just start to experience this freedom that is so unparalleled and they just get this like rush and this, and, and, and through their loyalty to each other and they discover like what it truly means, I think, to like really be loyal to another person, have somebody actually be on your team and be on your side and to love you that by the end of it, like the only thing that they can really do, I think is, is, is keep going and like drive off the cliff. Because as I was watching it for a while, I was like, well, what if they like, what if they just like handed themselves in and then they like, they, you know, they might not go to prison for the rest of their lives. They might get out in like 15 years and then they could try again or whatever. But then afterwards I was thinking about it and I was like, but that's like exactly the thing they don't want. Like they don't want, they realize that they can't, tolerate anymore just okay they can't be like i'll take whatever i can get and i'll make the most of it like mm-hmm. they're like absolutely not i will not be making you know the most out of a bad situation i will be choosing myself and my freedom and if i can't have that which i can't because i'm a woman and i live in this society i will die mm-hmm. and i will die at the absolute apex of my life which is like the most free the most like adrenaline, the most connected to another person I've ever felt in my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to go out in a blaze of glory. So I thought it was so triumphant, but it's defeatist because that's the only thing that they can do. There's no, they can't change the world and make it what they actually want it to be. You know, they can only like die at the best moment of what they have. In a way. Mm-hmm. I've seen a few few articles flying flying around that argue that them dying is the ultimate punishment that they have to face for going on such a defiant journey. But like you mentioned, they're dying on their own terms. Um, and what's the alternative? They go, what, drive at the police, all guns blazing, then they get killed by men, or they turn themselves in, life in prison, possibly even the death sentence, killed by men. You know, at least they're doing 
this on their own term. What's your favorite fact or piece of trivia? I really liked finding out that the film is written by a woman. I think sometimes women can sense when a film is written by a woman, mm. especially if it's like a, an action film, this kind of um, redemption heroic story. When I was really pleased to find out that it was written by a woman screenwriter, Callie Corey, and that so she won the, the best. Um, she won best screenplay the oscar for best screenplay but it was the first time that a woman had won the best screenplay award by herself like without attached to like another screenplay writer um since 1931 in the u.s so that was quite a profound little tidbit that i learned yeah i agree when i like read the the screenplay it was a woman i was like oh my god that makes so yeah, much sense yeah, it's like yeah. absolutely that's so true um but i also think that that ridley scott did a really good job in like bringing it to life mm-hmm. and um i did read an interview with um gina davis and susan Sarandon where they said it was good that it had a male director for the time because it meant that they got that really big budget because he was such yeah. a big name and that's yeah. why it was and they were like yeah like they, we do need more women directors but this film would have just would have been overlooked if it had had a female director. So, yeah, um, that was an interesting point and a fair point. But yeah, sad but true sad for but sure. True. And he did give it this like very epic quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I have a second little fun right. fact, which is that Gina Davis apparently she had a body double for certain parts of the film, but she insisted on doing the sex scene with Brad Pitt herself oh my god of course as you would like who wouldn't who would yeah. be like yeah let her do it absolutely yeah. not and the cool thing is too like they were i think both i think there's a 10 or so year age difference between gina davis and susan sarandon so they were like in their 30s and 40s already respectively um and brad pitt was like in his 20s so i just love that she was like hell yeah i'm an established actress Y'all know me. I have clout and I'm going to get skin to skin <laughs> with this fine, like uh, relatively unknown. Because yeah. this was the first rule that kind of ricocheted Brad Pitt into the, you know, Hollywood circuit. So, yeah, go Gina. You're an icon. Get a load of this. Gina Davis and Christopher McDonald, who's the guy who plays her on screen husband, Daryl actually engaged to be married before shooting the film oh, so awkward that is so awkward be like hey i've got this role for a really shit husband <laughs> i think you would be great because <laughs> there's nothing to do with why we didn't get married Promise. Yeah. <laughs> there's only one thing left to do which is rate the film out of five so the umstagger merglish curtain team are going to give Thelma and Louise. Do we have to agree? You don't have to agree, but you have to stick to the scoop system, which is essentially the star system, but with scoops. <laughs> okay. Okay. I I would give it five scoops. Me too. Oh, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> five scoops in a cup. No, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> no cone on top. It's also so bad with the environment. But literally, Why to me, eating the cone is is it's as if I was eating the cup. <laughs> There's yeah. no functional difference to me. <laughs> they taste the same. <laughs> we'll have words about this after <laughs> you stop recording. <laughs> Glad I've driven such a wedge between you two. <laughs> you really have. This is really the end of our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I personally would have given it four, just because I think some parts of it are quite 
cartoonish. So you think that women's liberation is cartoonish? Uh-huh. <laughs> what <you're saying? laughs> That's what I'm hearing. Uh, no, actually, it's the, it's the parts with the male guys. So the truck driver, for example. I know he's supposed to be a male caricature of a dick, but it's too much. Like, fuck you. Woo. I don't know. It, it, took me, it took me out of it a little bit. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and giving up time on your Galentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> what are you up to after this? Uh, we're going to make some macaroni and cheese with bacon, bacon and brownies. And we're going to watch the live action Mulan. Yes. Yay. Thank you for having us, Ash. No, no, pleasure, pleasure. Um, do you just want to tell the listeners where to find you on the socials and where they can listen to your podcast? Oh my God, that's so true. You can find us on Instagram at Umsteiger Podcast. That's U-M-S-T-E-I-G-E Podcast, which you know how to spell. And also, our podcast is in English. I would like to state this very clearly. So many people get confused about this. It, the name is in German, but we obviously both speak English and it's in English. Yes. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify and on SoundCloud and you will find the links on our Instagram. So, yeah. Hope to see Ash, you. Ash, you'll have to be a guest at some point. Yeah, 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 100%. You're going to tell us all about your Tinder, Tinder woes or successes. Thanks ever so much. Catch you on the flip side. Happy Valentine's. Bye. Hey, you made it all the way to the end. Cheers for listening and thousand dank again to the Umsteigers. We're on all the socials under the sun at Flicks and Scoops, so link up on there for all things ice cream and films. Next episode, I'm with old friend and playwright Matthew Greenoff as we tackle four lions. Subscribe to the Flicks and Scoops podcast on your preferred podcast app because you're not going to want to miss it. Bye! Now it's time for ice cream. Get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream.